0: We're continuing our our series in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And so i got a question for you as we start here today. Uh, Do you listen when people challenge you? When when people question you, question, let's say, your viewpoint, do you listen to them? Well, uh, you might be like, well, it depends on who's challenging me. And that's a great point. We shouldn't just... Listen to everybody. So let's refine it a little bit. Do you allow the people who love you to challenge you? Do you uh, listen to their questions or do you ignore them? When Brenda and I were first married, uh, we were on a trip one time and uh, it was winter and the roads were a little icy. Guess what my wife said to me at one point? She said, you're driving too fast. Has that ever happened to anybody here before? And, uh, you know, I was like, no, it's all right. I got it. And so time went on and we came uh, behind someone who was going super slow. I mean, it was ridiculously slow. And so... um, the validity of my viewpoint began to slide as I went around the person to pass them and we went into a 360. And I don't know how we missed the other person. <laughs> Thank you, God, we missed them. We did a complete 360 and I wound up, uh, we wound up in the ditch on our side. It was not a good day. Let me just tell you that. It was not a good day. Uh, I had a guy one time say to me, You need another set of eyes on what you're working on. I was working on a specific project. can't even remember the project, but I remember the statement. You need another set of eyes on that. You need another set of eyes. Uh, And I won't, won't soon forget that. Because we all need honest feedback. We need someone to share with us things that we might not see. And today I want to talk to you about God's perspective. I want to talk to you about inviting God's challenge into your life. That's what I want to talk specifically to you about today. Here's my main point. To enjoy God's power, you need to invite God's challenge. To enjoy God's power, you need to invite God's challenge. When we allow God to challenge us, our viewpoint... Our reference point, we're in a position to experience his power in our lives. And as your pastor, that, as your pastor, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my family. I want to experience his power in my life. And so we're going to look at this today. So if you would, again, please stand with me. I'm going to read this scripture. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, found on page 1301. In the Journey Bible. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. Jesus replied, "Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rises, there will neither marry. They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. How about the dead rising? Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him?" I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. This is God's word. You may be seated. So let's walk through this story. We have uh, the questioners, we have the question, and then we have lastly the response. And what I want to share is some truths here, three truths that has to do with God God's challenge to us. That's what I'm going to talk about here today. So the questioners, they were the Sadducees here. Um, we, we've seen this last week. Pastor Scott spoke on the uh, passage uh, previous to this. And the religious leaders are lining up to see Jesus. They are not lining up to get his autograph, though. <laughs> they are lining up to confront him. They're lining up to uh, trap Jesus. And so first we had the Herodians and the Pharisees. The Herodians are they were more liberal in their understanding of Judaism, and the the Pharisees were way more conservative, but they kind of joined together in order to trap Jesus. Now we have the Sadducees, and the Sadducees are even more conservative than the Pharisees. And here's one thing that they believed. The Sadducees believed that the Torah was the only inspired scriptures. So let me put a slide up here for you. Let's put a slide up here. Here's the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament. It breaks up into three parts. There's the Torah, that's the very beginning, sometimes called the Pentateuch, which means the five books of law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then we have the Nevaim, that's the prophets. And so that's the second part of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And we kind of arrange things a little differently in our English Bible, but it kind of has the same idea. starts with Joshua, goes all the way through Samuel and Kings, and goes through the major prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and all the way through the minor prophets. So that's the Nevi'im. And then the Ketuvim is the writings, and that's the Psalms and the Proverbs. And so, in essence, what the Sadducees were saying is we only take one-third of god 's Word, if you really uh, kind of equated it, about twenty percent of the Hebrew Bible is the Torah. The remaining eighty percent is uh, is you know the other parts outside of the Torah. and so what the Sadducees were saying is, we only take that part right there, the Torah. now specifically in this passage it says, they, verse 18, they did not believe in the resurrection. Uh, So the resurrection that's being talked about here is not Jesus' resurrection. He hasn't died and yet been resurrected at this point, but the teaching of the great resurrection at the very end of time, which was in other parts of the Old Testament, not in the Torah. And so basically their belief was, when you die... That's it. That's the end of the road. You are worm food. 80 years at the most, and that's it. No eternal life, no resurrection. So here's the first truth we want to talk about today. When you limit the Bible, when you limit the Bible, you limit God's voice. When you limit the Bible, you limit God's voice. So see, the Sadducees were only looking at 20% of the Hebrew Bible. That meant 80% of the content, 80% of the revelation, 80% of the voice of God was being left out. Now, uh, there might be some people in the room or others watching today that have a question about how the books of the Bible were chosen. We call it the canon. And if you're interested, I've got a nice essay uh, in the notes. You can text Genesis for the notes. And there's kind of um, an understanding of how those were chosen, the books that we have. But we see those books that are in the Bible as God's Word. God's Word to us. As a matter of fact, over in Hebrews chapter 10, this is what it says about God's Word. This is a famous uh, verse uh, that really undergirds our understanding of what Scripture is. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The psalmist says that your word, saying this to the Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path. The Sadducees, though, had a limited Bible. And therefore, they limited God's voice in their lives. Now let's look at the question. Uh, The question here, uh, you know, they decided to challenge Jesus, just like the Herodians and the the Pharisees. They decided to, to challenge him about his teaching about resurrection. So they shared a scenario with him. And it involves something really strange to us. You ever Raise your hand if you've ever been reading something in the Bible and it was really strange to you. Raise your hand. <laughs> if you've ever read the Bible, then your hand is probably up. If you haven't, then it might not be up. But there are some different things in the Bible. And one thing we always have to remember when we're studying the Bible is that there's cultural distance. Cultural distance from where we are right now in our and modernity, where we are, and you know, way back when, and some of the um, you know things described. I mean, three thousand or more years ago. So there's cultural distance, and one we have here is called leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. So let me explain it real quickly. Leveret uh, comes from the Latin that means brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. So Jesus lays it out pretty well in verse 19. Let me read that again. Moses wrote, or excuse me, not Jesus, but the the Sadducees. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up his offsprings for his brother. You see, the brother in law was obligated to marry his sister in law. That sounds strange to us, doesn't it? You're not used to that, are you? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's said in uh, Deuteronomy, in the book of Genesis, that's where it's laid out again in the Torah. The Sadducees believed in that, so they were well-versed in that. Two reasons, though, let me just point out. Uh, first of all, preservation of family lineage. Um, Levirate marriage was put in place to ensure for the man who had died the continuation of his family line. It was very important to the Israelites that their family line be continued, and that their inheritance be passed on to their lineage. Secondly, social and economic security for widows. There was no social security back then. (laughs) There was no government paying for things. In that ancient society, a woman's status and security were often linked to her husband and her children. And so Leveret marriage offered a widow the opportunity to have children and maintain her standing uh, within the community. So we see leveret marriage was, it was a gracious thing. It was a loving thing that was in that time of history. And then, so the Sadducees then they lay out, they take leveret marriage and they lay out this kind of outrageous story. They say, you know, seven successive leveret marriages. Certainly it could happen, but very, very, very extremely unlikely, right? You know, this woman would have to be a black widow, you know, like they say. Uh, So here's the question, though, that they ask. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? So, um, and in this, you kind of get a sense here. They believe they've got Jesus. You ever had that happen when you're maybe debating someone? Maybe someone's challenging you about something. You know, and and you like, you think you have the upper hand and, and you feel a little bit proud of yourself. You ever felt that way? Like, I think the Sadducees were like, aha, we've got him. There's no way he's going to wiggle out of this one. So here we have the second truth. The second truth is this. When you limit God's voice, you rely on your voice. That's what's happening here. You see, they've kind of, They've kind of set aside God's voice. They've limited the scripture. They're not hearing God's voice on everything that that could be heard on. And now they're relying on what they think. They're relying on their culture, what their culture is developing. And when we uh, look at things from our vantage point, you know, we can get puffed up, can't we? We can get kind of proud and dogmatic. We can get stubborn. Like me, 29 Or so years ago, 30 years ago. Our 30th wedding wedding anniversary is this summer. But, um, you know, riding in the car, my wife says something and, you know, I ignore it. I decide I'm not going to listen to Brenda. And sometimes with God, we think, I'm not going to listen to God. I I know what's best for me. I know what I want to do. I'm going to listen to myself. The gospel of Jesus instructs against this way of thinking. The gospel of Jesus instructs us away from that way of thinking. The gospel of Jesus teaches us that we're broken, that we are sinful. We're in need of another set of eyes. We're in need of God's eyes. We don't know everything and we need God. We need his help. We need his direction. So here's the response. Jesus replied, are you not in error? Because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Jesus is saying is, you're in error because you don't know the Scriptures. You haven't studied them all. You haven't opened your heart up to what the Scriptures may say to you. And because you do not know the Scriptures, you do not know the power of God. I think there's a very important link here between knowing the Scriptures, knowing the Bible, and understanding the power of God. They're, they're linked together. In other words, we find out about the power of God through our knowledge of the Scriptures. So the Sadducees are wrong on two accounts. They don't know the Scripture, nor do they know the power of God. And again, these two are linked together The knowledge of Scripture allows for the power of God to be revealed in one's life. So here's the third truth. When you rely on your voice, you limit God's power in your life. You're limiting His power. You're limiting what He knows that can be applied in your life that will make the outcome and make things much different than the way they are. So Jesus walks through these uh, two kind of questions, specific ones. One is on marriage and then one is on the resurrection. Let me just take a moment here. Um, Jesus says here, When the dead rise, they will neither uh, marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So we, we get a little bit of teaching about what marriage looks like outside of the context we're in, this world that we're in. And it's really what Jesus is saying. It's a lot uh, like what we say in our vows when we have a marriage, when we're having a marriage ceremony. Uh, often part of the vow is, till death do us part. And, and that's kind of what we see being fleshed out here. Now, this is implied in various teachings in the Old Testament, this concept. The relationship between God and his people and this, this use of this marital imagery, which is an eternal bond. And so it, it's kind of touched on. It's not directly said, but it's kind of there. One example is Isaiah 54. Um, one thing, though, about the glory to come, because we look at this and it troubles us. You know, you know, if you're in a marriage relationship and you love your spouse or your spouse has gone ahead of you, um, we may feel sad that we won't have that same but we can't look at it that way. Um, The Apostle Paul says this in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that he says that I consider our present sufferings, like the sufferings in this world, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. We just can't imagine what heavenly glory is going to be like. We can't get our arms around it. It's unimaginable. It's hard to imagine, but we... uh, But we can trust God. We can trust God with that, right? So in in heaven, uh, scripture uh, seems to share, though, uh, that there will be continuity from this life. I I really believe we're going to recognize people. We're going to remember people. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great reunion in in many ways uh, in heaven. So that's a little bit about that. So then Jesus addresses Resurrection. Let's move on to that. He addresses the resurrection and eternal life. And this is what he goes back to the account that is in the Torah uh, of Moses with the burning bush. And he says, God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And that, uh, if you put that passage up there from Exodus uh, chapter 3, I am the God of your father. Not I was the God of your father. I am. And so there's this sense that God is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. So here's the summary here. The Sadducees, what they had done is they had jettisoned scriptural authority. They had put it aside. And because of that, they rejected the resurrection. They rejected eternal life. And because of that, they were missing God's power in their lives. Uh, Now, how does that flesh out? Well, number one, like the hope of the resurrection, it's an incredibly powerful thing to have in one's life. That this is not the end. We're going to be raised up again with Christ. It's an incredible power to have in one's life. And then, Secondly, the joy of eternal life. Like, my hope isn't just on what I do here. You know, I'm not just working for now. I'm actually laying aside treasure in heaven, as Jesus talked about. And, and that brings a joy. And joy, of course, I mean, we can have bad circumstances in this world and yet still be joyful because of what we know that is to come. Okay? Okay. So uh, they had an incorrect uh, incorrect view of life. Now, this morning, as we get ready to end up here, you might be like, I'm not like the Sadducees. I accept, I believe in the whole Bible. That may be you this morning, and if it is, I'm I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, But you may believe in it, but you don't read it. Yeah, I believe in this, but I haven't really looked into it. And I would say in in some ways you're sort of acting like the Sadducees in that way. Or maybe um, you believe in it and you only read parts of it. Sometimes Christians, they don't like to go in the Old Testament. I mean, because it is pretty wild, right? And so it's like, I just stay out of (laughs) there. I'm going to stay up here in in the New Testament part. Well, you might be acting a little bit like the Sadducees. Or maybe you read it, you actually do read it, but you don't apply it. You actually don't practice it out, what you read. It's just more of a mental theory uh, in your mind. And and if if any of those are true, um, you're missing God's challenge. You're missing his way of questioning your life and challenging you. And if you're missing his challenge, you're limiting God's power in your life. I want to give you a couple of examples. Okay? Let me give you three examples. Okay, real quick. First of all, trials. Think about trials. What are trials like? Go to court. Not that kind of trial. I'm talking about something in your life that tests your endurance, tests your faith. Um, You know, many times uh, trials bring pain. There's pain in your life. And so what is our cultural thinking about trials? Avoid them at all costs. Right? Right? Stay away from anything that could challenge you and cause you any kind of pain. God challenges that. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We'll put it on the screen. What does it say here? What does God's challenge us say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow! What does God say to us? The trials we're facing. He says, consider it joy. Again, joy isn't about your circumstances. It's about what's to come. Consider it joy. Also, see your trials that you're facing as a way to mature. As a way to become complete in Christ Jesus, to become stronger in him. That's how you experience God's power. Amen? All right, let's look at another one here. Uh, Money. Money. Boy, money is important in our culture, isn't it? Prosperity is the central pursuit. It's the American dream, right? Store it up for yourselves. That's that's what we want. We want enough to retire on. We, We really can idolize our money. Well, what does God how does God challenge that? Let's look at Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. What does God's Word tell us to do with our money? Give some of it away. <laughs> That's crazy, buyers. What are you talking about? Give some of it away? Yeah, Scripture says like 10%. Your first fruits. Like we're not in an agricultural society, so we don't drop off a load of tomatoes, you know, like as our offering. But the ideas are like the first part when you're doing a budget, like, hey, the first part, Brenda, we are going to give away. And what is the Bible teaching us? It's teaching us uh, to um, live on less than you make. Be content with what you have. Be a blessing to other people. And so we should plan to give away a goodly amount of what we make. And then what does it say? It says you're Barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. So this is the power of God. Like, how does that make any mathematical sense? If I give away 10% of what I have, how am I going to be overflowing? We, We call it God math. It makes no sense. But it is true. And not only in a financial sense, but in our hearts. Our hearts will be brimming to overflowing when we're so fixated on money and how much we need to make and, and we're overworking to make uh, the amount of money that we think we need, it, it really kills something in our heart. But when we're generous and open-handed, God does something amazing in our lives. Let's talk about one more. Let's talk about sex. Okay, In our culture, the highest pursuit of people in our culture, of everything you see is about sex. It's about sexual freedom, personal autonomy. Enjoy yourself to the full extent. And, and also in this is, let yourself go because you can't control this. Just go on ahead and enjoy. And And we're seeing some of the ramifications of that in our culture, are we not? But God says something different. God challenges our viewpoint as a culture. This is from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. The word sanctified means holy. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And uh, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Anything that's sexually out of bounds, you should avoid it. Verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, okay? God says, no, sex is not the highest thing. You're not, you don't have personhood just because you can have sex. It's kind of the way our culture thinks, but God says no. Um, and I think what's very hopeful in that passage is the process of sanctification is laid out here. It's not instantaneous, It's, uh, verse 4 says, you should learn how to control your body in a way that's holy and honorable. It's a process. It demands you taking it seriously and working on it and bringing the right people into your life for accountability to help you. And as you do that, something powerful happens. It's called sanctification. It's called you become holy. Well, I have learned, I'm going to, Go back to the story about Brenda. I have learned to invite Brenda into uh, her challenge into my life. I've learned to. Not perfect at it, okay? I'm not perfect at it, But I've learned to. I need it. I need her set of eyes on things. I want to ask you this morning, are you inviting God to challenge your life? Are you inviting him in? And how do you do that? You do that through Scripture, you do that through study of Scripture, through reading of Scripture. And so I want to just uh, give a, a couple of places where you can go here this morning uh, if you want to take on studying the Scripture. Um, if, you, if you have a Journey Bible nearby, you can look at Roman numeral 17 in the front of the Bible. There's two, two kind of ways to study the Scripture. You can do, go through a book like we are in Mark. We're going every little passage. That's a great way to do it. Or you can go by a topic. So if you, go to the, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of these and take it with. But on page uh, Roman numeral 17, there's this thing in the front of it called Five Alive. And it's a one-month uh, reading plan covering five books that contain the essential teachings of the Bible. This would be a great place to go to read through a few books in the Bible that will give you a great understanding of the essential teachings in the Bible. So that's one thing. If you're more of a study, you'd like to grab a subject title and study that. In the very back, on page 1650, there's an explorer studies. There's seven different themes that may be of interest to to those that are beginning to study God's Word. On page 1664, there's a subject index to help you target a particular study. I'm going to invite Zach and uh, Eugene to come up right now as we end up our time and so I want to encourage you uh, to take a next step here this morning. Uh, it might be this. Number one, I realize I need God's challenge in my life. I real And just telling God that I need your challenge in my life. Maybe that's your next step today in a word of prayer. Uh, secondly, I'm committing to a Bible reading plan. I am going to, by the end of this week, commit to a way that I'm going to bring God's truth, bring God's um, challenge into my life. I'm going to invite Eugene uh, to pray right now. Thank you.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often our lack of knowledge of your word limits our perspective of your power of your infinite capability and ability. And as a result, we get frustrated and we struggle with the challenges and difficulties in this life, depending only on our own ability. So I just pray this morning, Lord God, that you would create a thirst in us to know your word, that you would give us the spirit of perseverance to be dedicated to studying your word daily and embedding it deep into our hearts. Let it take root in our heart, Lord Father. Grow our trust and dependence upon you because as your word says, there is nothing impossible with you, God. And we just pray these things in your powerful and precious in holy name, amen. If you would like more prayer, um, we will have a prayer team up front. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and go in his power.